Hello and welcome to the fifth and final wellbeing webinar in a series we have been running throughout the past couple of months. The whole aim of these webinars was to provide some support to colleagues throughout quite an extraordinary time. We've recorded each one and shared them on our podcast, Don't Shoot the Deputies. Each session has been facilitated by me and Steve. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. And we've been supported beautifully by our friends Liz and Stu, who run an organisation called Inner Compass. So good evening to both of you. Good evening. Good evening. Lovely to see you both again. So let's just briefly reflect on some sessions we've had so far. In the first webinar, we introduced a slightly different way of looking at well-being, focusing on what we've been terming an inside-out understanding of well-being. In the second webinar, we explored the idea of speculation, which has been rife, and how we can best cope with that. In the third webinar, we ended up examining where we see that the pressure we often feel is actually coming from. And in our previous webinar, number four, we looked at how we can best be of service to others during this time. So in deciding on a focus for our last episode, we did what we've done all along. We listened to what we were hearing online from people in education. And the overwhelming theme we picked up on this week was anxiety. Leaders, teachers, teaching assistants, parents, feeling really anxious. Steve, I've never really asked you if you experience anxiety much or whether you have recently. I've always been very open with you about some of the anxiety I've had in the past. But would you mind sharing your perspective on this and whether perhaps you've been experiencing a lot of anxiety more recently? Yes, sir. Well, I think it's fair to say for the majority of us, so we've experienced a lot of it recently. Um, the last week or so has definitely been an influential week for my anxiety. Um, over time, I've actually, I remember when I first started practicing as a lawyer and I had a mentor and I was explaining to them how I did get anxiety and common symptoms of anxiety being the sleepless nights, the massive headband around my head that was just uh, really fluctuating with the stress levels I had. And my mentor actually said to me, um, why don't you ever try turning your anxiety into a bit of a weapon so that when you're going in, it always used to be when in the early days when I was um, actually practicing and had cases where I was in front of a judge and there was, it was the pressure that I put on myself to A, make the right decisions for someone whose life could determine on it. Um, so I used to get high levels of anxiety then. And even though I did try to stimulate into being a bit of a, a weapon that I turned against myself to help me, there was always times throughout the year in particular when the stress levels got worse with family law in particular um, that I did used to suffer. And I used to have to just take myself away and go to a quiet bench sometimes and just really have some downtime to myself. But And football, I, I know I've always um, put, put too much pressure on myself that it's led to anxiety with football, even though I thoroughly love playing it. There's uh, high expectations I always set myself that led to anxiety in my sporting life. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I've tried to, um, it fluctuates, to be honest, but the last week, um, even though these webinars have been fantastic, I think it's fair to say that there have been times, so I know I've shared with you, Russell, some thoughts over the last week where uh, I can tell my mood swings have been enforced because of the uh, anxiety and stress levels that I've gone through. And sometimes it's been particularly entertaining over the last week with the uh, there's particular tweets that I saw. I can think of a Katie Hopkins one that I just had to laugh at, but inside I really wanted to get my frustrations over to her. But hey, I was trying to manage my own well-being and taking care of my anxiety in turn. Thanks for that reflection, Steve. It's, um, it's really interesting just listening to you talking about sort of experiences of anxiety or anxious thinking in different contexts there, everything from your job as a lawyer to your football in time and and you you mentioned um just something i heard come up again and again there you talked about pressure that you saw coming from yourself can you just say a bit more about that yeah i mean it always it depends on the context obviously but i am my own worst enemy in terms of the levels that i want to get to um and therefore i exempt a lot of pressure on my own personal well-being and, and my physical demands of whatever it is could be sport or it could be um, when I was practicing as a lawyer, for example, in the fact that I was only going to ever be satisfied if I got the desired outcome that was never guaranteed. But in my mind, I was letting it process to say, that's what I need to get. And if I don't get there, then I've failed, basically. So that was the pressure that I was putting on myself, um, albeit not very handily, but something I had to combat. 
That's interesting. And I wonder whether that might come up a few times tonight around mm. this idea of anxiety and these standards we sometimes hold ourselves to. Yeah, really interesting. Thank you. I shared in the first webinar that anxiety is something I'm very familiar with and I, I put that on the, the posts that I um, shared about tonight's webinar. And I'm, I'm really happy to be open about that because when I am, I see that so, so many other people can relate to what, what I've described. So, you know, particularly around four years ago when I relocated, I've really experienced acute anxiety. And for the first time, I experienced a panic attack, which I had heard about and thought sounded ridiculous until I experienced it myself um, in terms of just a, a completely overwhelming emotional and physical experience where I felt completely unable to cope with the situation I was in. And that sort of when I reflect on it, I quite often talk about that period of my life around four years ago when I had anxiety or when I experienced anxiety. But I think the more I reflect on that, the more I see that actually I think it had been maybe lurking in the background. I've been experiencing a lot of anxious thinking for a long time. And it was just within a particular circumstance that came to a head. One of the things that I always share with people since developing this understanding of, uh, of well-being that Liz and Stu reflect on, I just don't experience anxiety anywhere near the levels that I used to. Of course, like everybody, I get anxious thinking. I have down days. Like my moods go up and down. But um, I want to be really honest with people that I, I never experience anxiety at the levels that I used to. And I'm saying this because I really know how horrible anxiety is. I really know how horrendous the physical and mental effects of, of anxiety are and how real that is but I also want people to know that it is possible to live a less anxious more fruitful life um, as you develop a better understanding of what's really going on for you and what I hope out of this evening is you'll develop a, a little bit of a better understanding of what's really going on behind the scenes there because it was understanding that that unlocked for me I don't know a, a more positive path um, that I've been on since so passing over to Liz and Stu, because you work as coaches, well-being coaches, supporting people in all sorts of walks of life, but certainly lots within education. And I'm just curious to ask you as, as a starting point, do you see anxiety a lot? And what do you see as the kind of the effects of anxiety on the people you work with? Any kind of common themes in that? So whoever wants to start. Thank, thanks, Russell. And um, really interesting listening to, to you and Steve talk about um, your experiences of anxiety and there was just something there before I sort of get on to talking about education just something that Steve said which is classically isn't it that this sense of putting pressure on himself and and that he would go off to a quiet place so th there's something that we just inherently know that when we're we're in confused thinking, which is, you know, another word for overthinking, um, we seem to know that actually to take ourselves off somewhere and go and sit quietly or get away from it in some way, whatever that may be, that just it just so happens the mind settles. And that's what we're looking for. That's, that's what we're saying is, is the obvious antidote to stress, pressure, anxiety, um, like the snow globe. I haven't got one here, but the snow globe, shake the snow globe and you can't see through it. You put it down, allow it to settle. And, you know, within a few seconds, it's, it's back to clarity. And that, that's a bit like us. I know it's a real simple um, example, but that really is, is how it seems to be that, that we operate. But uh, in education, yeah, we, we've done, we've worked for years with, within education at different levels, um, at all, all levels in education. And um, anxiety is a, is, is a very common conversation that, that we'll have. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a very simple way to have a, have a conversation with with colleagues, which we overlook. And that is to, to listen to them and point to their well-being. Just the idea of um, listening to somebody and looking to point to what you experience about their well-being 
with no agenda other than to listen. So no fixing, no solutions, no good ideas, unless they invite it. But when, when someone's in anxious thinking, just part of the process of venting or just, just blah, getting it out is to, to someone who's listening authentically without any agenda other than to, 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 to listen. That seems to be really helpful. And, and, and we're not looking to solve the problem. And here's the thing. This is the, the magic. The, the thing isn't the problem. It's the thinking about the thing that is the problem. Mm. Does that make sense? It, it does. You, as you were describing the power of um, pointing someone else in touch with their well-being, I just, I sort of found myself kind of imagining me four years ago and how probably reluctant I would have been to admit any sign of stress. And I think, I'm sure I did show signs, but on the whole, I think I'm a pretty good actor, actually. And I think people could could know me for some time and think I'm absolutely fine because I can do my job well and function pretty well, pretty well publicly, but really be struggling, uh, struggling internally. And I just kind of... you just made me sort of think really how that seems to have been a change in me in this understanding is that I seem to be okay to say I'm I'm not doing that well today etc and um I, I wasn't uh, texting and ignoring you I was looking at my phone as you spoke to reflect on a conversation that I had earlier which was that um I just mentioned to a colleague on the senior team that I, I was just feeling really exhausted today that just it just hit me a bit and that was about all I'd said and the intuitive kind of kindness in that person just said something about, let, you know, let me know if I can help with anything and you're doing an amazing job. And it, it was ridiculous in terms of the impact of that because it's what you're talking about, isn't it? Is that there's something about pointing out someone's well-being um, that just has them settle back down. And it was like the, the cloud of noise in my head that I had, I'd, I felt like was there earlier just seemed to dissipate a bit. You know, it's not that the, the situation I'm in has overly changed. And, you know, I think that's what you're saying is she could, have, she could have got caught up trying to fix my thinking or actually just pointing me back in touch with what's always been there, this kind of calm, resilient self that is there and is there for all of you listening was enough to just make me settle and think, ah, I'm all right, I'm okay. The situation around me might still be pretty tough, actually, at the moment, but I think I'm okay. That's be beautifully summed up, uh, Russell. Um, you know, we, we can get bogged down in our, our thinking, our beliefs, which can somehow be converted into our identity. And the, the killer here is it's all made up. It's not who we are. We're much more than we think we are, and you've just identified that. You, you've pointed to something that is rock solid, it's constant, and uh, we, we call it our innate well-being. And, and that, that is our default, except when we get caught, caught up in our thinking, which takes us away from our default. And, and the misunderstanding is that it's the other way around, misunderstanding seems to be that it's the other way around, that we have to try and strive for well-being. And we're saying, no, look, it's, it's just, it's who you are, actually. That, that is who we are, is, you know, I've referred to Jack Pransky, and it's my favorite. And he talks about our, our default is peace, love, and wisdom. Now, um, you know, we're on a, uh, a call of this nature, and it, and it doesn't sound too wacky when, when I do it like this, but, but if you, if you happen to say it to your, you know, your head teacher, you know, actually we're all peace, love and wisdom, you know, you might get a funny <laughs> response, but, but actually Jack Pransky says that, um, all you are is peace, love and wisdom and the power to create the illusion that you're not. And the, the misunderstanding is that, we get caught up in the illusion and the illusion is actually looks and feels real, but it's not who we are. It, it really does look and feel real. And if you had asked me four years ago about that, I, I think I really did believe that uh, that version of myself, that um, 
I was anxious, that I had anxiety and, and that, that label felt very attached to me. Uh, and what I see now is that I, I'd fallen for a trick that I'd set myself really, that there was something wrong with me, that I, I was in some way kind of broken. And this journey I've been on over the last four years has really been about discovering that my kind of true nature, the true kind of person that I think I am and that I think all of you are is is as you described peace peace love and wisdom actually that's that's who we are at our our core and we have this incredible ability to tell ourselves stories of the contrary um so thank you for those reflections Stu I'll pass over to Liz for for some of hers thank you yeah it's just probably just to add to what's already been said and I think that we we spend a lot of time often when we get into uncomfortable thinking, trying to fix that thinking, as Stu says. And and it is very much, if you've got a snow globe, it's a little bit like when we try and fix our thinking, it's, it's a little bit like we're shaking a snow globe. And I, I remember it really resonated with me, Steve, with what you said, because I used to work for the BBC and um, I actually was on the verge of probably going off with stress when I worked there. Uh, And I had this feeling like you described, like this band of, it felt like a physical band tight around my head. Uh, And I'd I'd feel physically sick when I went to work. I just, 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 you know, I I was quite churned up about it all. Now, one of the common mistakes that people can make, and and I fell into this trap, was I, I, I began to go, well, it can't be, you know, it can't be my job because everybody like thinks working for the BBC is a fantastic job can't be my relationship because I'm in a really lovely relationship I've got a house you know I've got all these lovely things happening in my life so I thought it must be me so I started a, a, a campaign of trying to improve myself like I need to have better goals I need to be a fitter person I need to be a better person I need to get rid of my limiting beliefs so that can be another trap to fall into and we're not talking about that when we talk about your true self we're not talking about talking about fixing some of the roles or some of the masks that maybe we use in day-to-day life. We're kind of saying, look, underneath all of that, like be curious about that, that thread, that part of us that is constant. And there is, it really does something when I get in touch with that for myself. And then when I see that in other people and help them see it in themselves, you don't need to fix all the thinking it's almost like you're, you're in that rock solid place. So I think that's just worth saying too. Thanks, Liz. Um, you talked about some of the physical kind of uh, responses that you had to, to anxious thinking and it sounded really overwhelming. And um, I, I can completely relate to that. I mean, for me, I, two massive symptoms, this kind of like swirling, churning feeling in my tummy and a real tightness in my chest. So the, the, the physical uh, responses are very, very real. And Steve, we kind of, we asked people on Facebook and lots of you that are with us tonight just to share, like, how does your body let you know you're in that anxious place? And Liz, I might come back to you in a minute because we talked a bit about emotions and, and responses and how they give us information. I might like to pick up on this in a minute. Um, but Steve, what were some of the things that people were describing? I can think of a few. I think someone talked about like a whirlwind effect, which I really related to of thinking mm. ahead. You're spot on. And it's uh, great to see um, educators have this way of describing analogies. And we have some brilliant ones, but um, when looking at how our body um, can let us know that we're feeling anxious, Straight away, um, one of the first comments was Stu. It was talking about the snow globe analogy and shaking when your mind just can't think straight um, and your your mind starts to spiral and like Russell said, into this kind of tornado that's bringing in as much chaos as possible. I can really relate to that. Um, Another one that I related to personally was grinding your teeth when you're asleep and, and that idea that you're having anxiety dreams, literally having dreams about it and you wake up in them cold sweats and feeling quite flustered um we also had typical symptoms such as the anxiety being crippling and getting bigger and bigger as you're overthinking and so everything gets very complex and that can lead to you physically shaking uncontrollably on the flip side we've got um, butterflies in the belly that will no doubt get gradually worse and it's like that like russell said the washing machine effect where you're your muscles in your belly go very tight and tense. And it just feels like a swirling inside. Um, lack of sleep, again, is a very common one, uh, as well as being lightheaded, chest pains and heart palpitations. Um, and just that, um, we described it really well, that anxiety is a real roller coaster. And 
it can rise from a little flutter um, but then it follows up your chest and into your brain and then really circulates into overdrive gosh it's horrid I know. <laughs> it's really horrid. and you know describing that i bet lots of you listening actually it's quite unpleasant hearing that because it's just reminding you of something that's quite raw for you and quite common for you and you know i haven't had a full-blown anxiety attack in four years but that really brings home that it kind of reminds me of just how horrendous that feeling of overwhelm is and how you know, for me, do you know what really wound me up about panic attacks or anxiety attacks, whatever you want to call them? The word's horrible, isn't it? Attack. <laughs> Suggests it's coming from outside. Is what I really didn't like about them was they happened at stupid times. <laughs> they happened when I was putting the kids to bed or I think, I think one of mine was in a circus. It was in a bloody circus. It wouldn't be the happiest place on earth with my kids watching a clown and I needed to get out of there. What's that about? And the physical manifestation of, of that was really horrible, that sense that I just needed to escape. Um, so, so what we're not saying for a second when we talk about um, the power of thought and where that's coming from, we're not saying that's, that the physical effects aren't real because, my God, they are. I really get that. Um, Liz, I'm curious because we've spoken in previous episodes about how uncomfortable feelings are kind of giving us information and uh, when I'm on that level, it doesn't feel like information I want to hear. But, you know, talk to me about what you think of that. Yeah, I think it's, um, it, it's such a good illustration, I think, because, because the feelings are so um, uncomfortable. Um, often what we want to do is, is sort of suppress them or stop them. That's, 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 that's our immediate reaction. And yet, if you start to understand what's going on, what we're saying here is that they're actually giving you good information. They're letting you know that you are in um, exhausted, often exhausted thinking, that your, your mind is, giving, is, is telling you and will keep ramping up those signals until you listen that you are mentally exhausted. And I think it's really important that people realize that it's actually a sign that your system is working really well. Um, and I've worked with a variety of different leaders and some head, one of the head teachers I work with, um, well, in fact, I work with probably three people in education who have experienced panic attacks. And um, with all of them, there was a kind of a disbelief that, that, that they were experiencing panic attacks. And yet when they told me about what they were going through and that what they had to deal with every day and how challenged they were by things, often they were um, perfectionists, they wanted things to be right, they did a lot of thinking. It, it, as they described it and I sort of fed back what I was hearing, they began to see that actually it, it wasn't so surprising that their, their mind and their psychological system was responding in this way. And if you start to see it as a symptom rather than something that needs to be stopped or suppressed, then you're actually working and aligning yourself with your psychological system rather than trying to force it into working a different way. So I would say really listen in. And sometimes you've got to override it. Um, but, you know, you said today, um, Russell, that you, you were feeling quite tired and then you just went and lay down for 20 minutes and had a sleep. That's, that's you listening to your system. Um, it's, it's not trying to override it or saying, I shouldn't be feeling tired. How can I break through this? Mm. I need to have a cup of coffee. Mm. It's like, no, it's like, no, your system is giving you information. Listen into it. Mm, that's really interesting because I think that's something... Um certainly one of the big things that's changed for me in the last four years is self-awareness and self-understanding. And that's really what we're talking about here, isn't it? It's really getting kind of how we work and, and, and how we operate. And yeah, that's been a big thing, just noticing and, and, and rather than kind of labeling as bad or piling on the guilt of, of, I shouldn't be feeling this. Why am I feeling this? I'm in a circus with my children. I should be happy. Um, there's a sense that like you say it's just it's just a signal and, and and some signals are really trustworthy aren't they and some some need to just be treated with a little bit of um I don't know just a little bit of distrust just that is this it's telling me about where my thinking is but it's not necessarily telling me my thinking's true I think that's what I'm trying to say um mm. so I know that when I'm in really revved up anxious thinking um 
my my body signals of you know tightness in my chest or a swelling in my belly is just telling me that my thinking is not in a necessarily a very trustworthy place but it is telling me something useful and 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 paying attention to that and it's really interesting the way you talked about kind of aligning yourself with those symptoms or responses is actually quite healthy is actually so that's my body doing its job it's letting me know that right now is perhaps not the time to make a massive decision or entering into a, a, an argument with my my wife at this very moment or something like that. And I do feel like I I just feel like I listen more to that psychological system as a kind of a healthy. Um, well, that's why your your organisation's called Inner Compass, isn't it? Is this this belief and this this viewpoint that actually we're built, we're designed to be able to kind of uh, cope with what's around us, and we've got that kind of natural resilience. And if we listen into that. Uh, we're more likely to navigate through life with a little bit more ease. Yeah, and and just want to quickly say there, I mean, the reason we we like the metaphor compass is that a compass doesn't tell you what to do. It just gives you information and you can override it. And and in a sense, that's what we're saying is listening to your compass. It it will give you good information. Mm, Thank you. Stu, was there anything you wanted to come in with there? Yeah, there was was something which... which, uh, sort of stood out for me, which is the, the way you described it, Russell, yeah, the, body's, the body is giving you s- some good information. You know, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing bit of kit that we have. And there, there can be a tendency to um, go to, it seems automatically, that there's something wrong and identify that there's something wrong which I need to fix. And we often look outside for something that is causing our distress or our suffering. And that can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. There's nothing to fix. That's the truth. There's nothing to fix. We're inclined to look outside and, and attribute the way that we feel to circumstances, to people to events and I know it can be really challenging to hear this but we're not here to collude with any of you on that front that it's something out there that's causing any stress or distress or suffering in fact I'm going to go so far as to say it can't possibly be, even though it looks like it. Even though it looks like it. Um, if, if, you can, if you can get your head around this, you will be giving yourself the biggest break in your life. The, the inclination to try to fix what's out there is it's just not possible to fix other people's thinking or even your own thinking, because it's, it's passing through. And just know that it's okay to have thoughts that are, you know, feeling distressed or upset or anxious or ill at ease, whatever, whatever it is, it's, it's just okay to experience that and just let it pass. If you can experience it, watch it pass and let it go, something else will come along. Stu, out of all the things we tend to talk about, I always find this is the one that is the, the hardest for people to grapple with. And it certainly was for me. Uh, I talked in another webinar about how I was quite, I was quite annoyed with you when you uh, suggested that my stress might not be attributable to all the things that were happening out there. One of the things that I've seen a lot on social media about anxiety in the last week or stuff is how the comments from all sorts of people... Um, online etc about the profession in particular at this this really tough time for for teachers has been really demoralizing and you know has made them feel more anxious and you know a lot of people would stand there and say no Stu they've made they've made me feel anxious this week they've said some horrible things about the profession they've told me I'm lazy uh, Steve mentioned one of those lovely tweeters earlier I won't name her again because I don't want to give her any more airtime. Um, what would you say to that then? Because they'll be pretty convinced that that's where the anxiety is coming from. Uh, me too. <laughs> it happens to me too. Look, the, the other day, I'll give you an example. The other day, um, I saw a Facebook post. I woke up really early. It was about six o'clock and Liz was still 
purring. And um, I read this Facebook post, and it was somebody that I know from the golf club. He's a, he's a real nice bloke. And um, he put something up which I thought that there was an intention to, to be controversial, okay? Oh, and I bit. Oh. <laughs> I took the bait. And um, I started to pen a reply. And then there was this just little glimmer of wisdom that said, Stu, don't send it. Just, just don't send it. So I, I, I didn't send it then, but um, we got up and we went for a walk. We go for the, a long walk in the morning. We, we live just on the edge of Dartmoor. So we walk on, up onto Dartmoor. It was the most beautiful morning in nature. The horses with their foals, these tiny foals, the lambs, the cuckoos. It was extraordinary. You know, I really was in heaven. But every now and again, my mind from that lovely, beautiful environment would flit into what I'm going to say to this person, what he, what he needs to know <laughs> about what he's just said and the fact that he's wrong and I'm right, in a sense. And I replayed this and I replayed it and... Um, when I got back home, which was after about an hour and a half, it, it had just gone. It had just sort of melted away. And I was coaching somebody that morning, and I, I told him the story. And he said, it melted away to you because there was nothing there in the first place. It, it was, it, it was a, a Facebook post, and, and, and I wasn't responding from my true nature. I was responding from that separate self, that egoic self that needs to be right. And how dare he? And um, my coachee that day was just so wise. He said there was nothing there in the first place. It was just thought passing through, except I got hooked on it and started to give it attention and entertain it and battle my ego battling with it. Um, and it was a trick of the mind. The whole thing was a trick of the mind and I fell for it. Hook, line and sinker. Now I know that I, I see, I watch the news and I read Twitter and I see, see what people are saying and I, I don't envy you in this conversation that you're having and the best advice I can give is is to just remember who you truly are you're more than you think mm. you're more than you think you are thank so. you Stu I, I, when these posts have been coming and they're becoming thick and fast and they tend to, <laughs> they tend to uh, sort of set off a wave of responses on Facebook and Twitter and they're shared widely and everyone piles on and gets more cross and more angry and and then suddenly the energy that's been attributed to this original tweet is is phenomenal when when as your coachee sort of said they were they were energyless weren't they until we we gave them that energy until we gave that power and uh, it, yeah it's someone's commented it's good to know you're human Stu uh, that was oh, took me about a year to realize that in you so that was good to know um, but, <laughs> but, a bit quicker than you, wasn't but it wasn't until it wasn't until I saw one of these tweets from uh, from an from an absolute sort of loon in the moment really of mm. such such ridiculousness mm. and and for the first time I broke into hysterics laughing not, yeah. not sort of like madness yeah and and it just really tickled me because I went for, it's almost like the <clears> ones that had sounded semi-plausible I'd been taken too seriously. And once someone just said something really stupid, it was like the illusion cracked and I realised it's, it's just nothing. It's literally nothing but the energy I give it. And, you know, you start to build a picture in your mind, a reality about a certain situation based on some noisy voices rather than 
just kind of accepting as you say Stu you're doing your very best and you're being you're being the best that you can be and you know what the people you kind of need to see that that that's true and that that's happening are seeing that you know I bet all of the people here have had messages of support or encouragement or certainly their school leaders will have from parents or families or whatever that see that they're doing their best and actually you know we've got this brilliant ability perhaps lots of us as perfectionists as well which you came you mentioned earlier of believing the the one voice of negativity amidst a kind of a storm of positive comments yeah and uh, just to to finally on, on that point um, as soon as you hear yourself in your internal dialogue saying, I should be doing this, or they, they should have done that, there's a clue there that you're making it up. So be suspicious of modal verbs. That's what we're doing <laughs> in, in Thank you. Thank page you. two grammar. Thank yeah. you for raising the standard. That's great. <laughs> it was a big lesson for me in... As soon as I hear myself, oh, they should be doing this, and they shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't talk to me like this, blah, blah. You know, I'm just having a, a battle with my ego, and um, the ego loves it. It'll be there all day if I let it. <laughs> so coming full circle to that idea of anxiety, I'm seeing, seeing a connection there that this kind of uh, self-punishing nature that we can get into sometimes. Uh, I mean, I'm... <laughs> it's really interesting to think about the idea of perfection <clears throat> Liz I suddenly thought back to your reflection earlier about your job at the BBC and you had the perfect job and the perfect... actually same four years ago I'm moving to Devon that's a dream come true I'm moving to a beautiful new house I've got two gorgeous daughters and a lovely wife everything should be everything should be fine I should like I should be completely happy what's going on and actually there I think amidst all that there was something in the I should be feeling this, as Stu saying, being, being suspicious of the word should, instead of just going, well, maybe it's okay to feel what you're feeling. And maybe it's perfectly natural that you're worried about leaving your friends or your family. And yeah, that's really got me thinking back to then. I, feel, I thought I'd figured four years ago out, but I think that's given me a deeper understanding of what was going on there. Um, Liz, is there anything you wanted to come in on there? I just want to um, kind of reiterate what Stu said there, which I think is, is probably the core of the work that we um, we teach really is that when when you start to get curious about who you truly are, your true nature, that's that's where the real juice is in this. Now, it, it's it's very compelling to get lost in the stories and to listen to the stories that you're telling in your head. <clears throat> and I've had so many more arguments um, with people imagined arguments in my head than I ever ever have in real <laughs> life that it's, it's it's amazing how much we inadvertently exhaust ourselves mentally completely unnecessarily so the temptation is to try and fix our thinking and we're saying mm, I think that's just that's a fool's errand it's it's about as soon as you start to get lost or you start to feel agitated I take that as a sign that I am looking for my peace of mind in the wrong direction and as soon as I start to go, oh, hang on a sec, I'm not going to find it over there when that person says that or that person does that or the government does this or this happens in my life. Actually, it's a reminder that, oh, I'm just, I've just lost my way. It's about to come right back to this present moment. It's just to come back again to who I truly am. So that's how I just wanted to say it was a great story and, and, and exact, that's exactly what we, what we teach um, in the work that we do. So we're moving towards the final section of tonight's webinar. So it'd be good to open things up to questions from anybody that has joined us tonight. If there's something you'd like to ask, feel free to type that now and we'll have a bit of a chat about some of the things that are coming in. Can I pick up on Claire's one? Because that came in a little while ago. Mm. And it's actually one that I really resonate with. Um, it's um, talk about lesson observations and how you can ignore every strength in a lesson observation when you get feedback and you focus purely on that little area of development. It's like the little grinding <laughs> nut. You can have perfection all the way across and then you've got this one little thing. And I, it actually reminds me of an example. Um, probably four or five years ago, new head teacher took over at our school and um, I felt the pressure because it was jokes of the outstanding teacher. And I remember I spent all weekend and I spent about 50 quid on this 
crappy lesson that was about making uh, real life examples and everything. I thought, oh, I didn't get much sleep that night. It's Monday morning, they're coming in for English. And I remember she only came in for around half an hour. Don't laugh, Russell. Um, and I set it all up. It was going beautifully. And she left before my plenary, which was mandatory at that time. And I remember the checklist where you had um, all the outstanding, good, satisfactory, blah, blah, blah. And I looked down the list as she's talking to me. I'm seeing like highlighted outstanding in a lot of areas. And I looked at plenary and I was like, that's only says good that. I remember turning around. And I was irate with her because I was saying, you weren't even there. How can you judge that when you weren't there? And um, that stuck with me. And then I, I think, flash forward a few years now. And I, one, it wouldn't be judged like that. But two, I would never have that element of thinking and that, that focus on something that was so petty. Because I, overall, I'm, every day when I'm teaching, we're looking at progress and the children making progress. And is it a decent enough lesson over time whereas I was so caught up in this rapture of wanting to have that outstanding label that this little area of development just grinded me down for a good few days it took me talking to my colleagues to actually make me see sense it was such a wouldn't it wouldn't it have been uh, good if you had really really understood then Steve that your value had nothing to do with what was put on a piece of paper <laughs> exactly that yeah that, that, yeah that, you're that uh, your your inherent value as a teacher was far beyond that yeah rather than this tiny judgment which in the grand scheme of things was like you said a piece of paper mm. but at the time the culture was so that you really depended on that judgment and i know a couple of people that messaged us that are here with us tonight talked about how cultures like that of pressure and expectation i know we've talked about the internal bit but feeling as as if they're never going to be good enough for a set of standards that have been laid out for them and listen to you before Steve picks up on some other comments because there's lots of great ones there um what would you say to people that have actually they feel they've you know they've got to they've been made ill by these expectations that have been set upon them by those around them perhaps haven't been lucky enough to work in an environment that's overly supportive or, or kind when they're beginning to struggle notice those signs that yeah things are tough well I think I think what I'd say is that, we, you know, what, what we're, we're sharing with you is um, uh, looking at how, how the mind actually works. And it's, it's very easy to, uh, and, and, a lot of the, and, and a lot of teachers that I've worked with who have been in those sorts of cultures, which are very high-performing cultures, have, and particularly, as we were saying before, if, they, if they're perfectionists, really do feel that uh, intensity of anxiety and stress. And again, what we're saying is we're, we're bringing this right back to who we truly are, it, to the, the present moment, to that space of, of clarity. There are different words that we might use to explain the intuition or, or wisdom, that settled space within. Now, the, the, the most useful thing that anyone can get a sense of is that it's like, it is like a navigation system that we have built into us. Um, and it's about, it's about listening into that. Now there isn't a set of strategies or, or advice or tools that we might give to somebody to say, well, why don't you do a, B and C and then you'll feel better. Yeah. What we're saying is that when you start to really tune into what's right for you, then you'll start to make some really good quality decisions in that environment. And it might be, for example, for one person, it might be that they need to go and speak to a, a leader and explain how things are going. For another person, it might be that they go, for example, I've worked with two head teachers. One head teacher left the profession before she left with stress. And another head teacher completely realized, just fell in love back again with her job again. And, and re-engage with her profession. They, there wasn't a right journey for anybody to take other than when they listened in, they started to understand the best way to navigate for them. So that's what I would say. Yeah, thank you. And I think a lot of the tension and horrible symptoms we experience is often when there's a tension between us, well, it's often when we're not listening, isn't it? And we want to continue to believe a certain version of what's going on around us or a certain standards we need to hold ourselves to. Or actually what you're saying is from that settled place, you'll see what the right decision is. And sometimes that is to 
have a change, walk away, talk to somebody, you'll find we kind of what's right for you. It's not to say those circumstances aren't tough. So thank you for that. Steve, any other uh, comments you wanted to pick up on? There are so many. I'll let you have a go in a second, Russell. But um, one that's come in, actually, trying to be the best I can be, but my newly acquired anxiety leaves me unable to prioritise. That makes me feel even worse. I think that's something that can resonate with a lot of people. I was just wondering what your thoughts would be in regard to that, Stu and Liz. Yeah, and, and there's two things I would pick up on, on there. Um, one is that your, your anxiety that you're feeling is, is just letting you know that you're, you're out of kilter, that you're, you're, you're spinning your wheels almost in your head, trying to find answers where they don't exist. So I would say just, just bear, bear that in mind. Um, and it, it, that you notice that you're, I think you said not able to make good decisions or, or, or prioritize or mm. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another symptom of being in, in anxious, revved up thinking. I'd, I'd pay attention to that. Your, your system is letting you know that you're, you're in a, it, it's a, it will be an unhealthy mental space for you to, to, to stay in. So I would, I would be interested in for you to start to understand for yourself what's going on and how you might be able to find yourself um, back, on, back in balance again. So that I would say, listening to those, those symptoms, I would. And the other thing I noticed there, uh, Liz, you know, it's come up a few times in the webinars is how we have an initial emotion or, you know, response, physical response. And then what we have this ability brilliant ability to as humans is layer that up with lots of other difficult emotions guilt i feel worse i feel frustrated etc where there's something about and a few people have commented on this there's something about when you allow yourself to feel what you're feeling and just see that as a signal and and take it for that is the signal yeah. of where my thinking's at suddenly it doesn't seem quite as powerful as as it does when we throw that extra stuff on so it's it's kind of it's changing the way you think about some emotions that are uncomfortable, isn't it? Rather than yeah. seeing them as, as a sign that there's something wrong with you, seeing it that are just a reflection of where your thinking's at a particular moment and that everybody goes through patches like that as well. It's not just you. Totally. A few people talking about how, um, actually, I am interested to come back to you, Liz, on this one, because um, you talked about not, you know, you don't sit there recommending strategies, but people naturally um, seem to find things for themselves that have them get into that settled space you're talking about. So some people have talked about writing things down or whatnot. What do you make of those comments? When people talk about, it helps me, I, I write something down, I do this. Do you flinch at that because you're not into tools and techniques? No, no. What do you no, see I, in that? I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I think that we, it's almost like we can make our own bespoke tools and techniques. But what's right for me, hmm. you know, when Stu, when Stu wants to go and play a game of, of golf to go and de-stress, that's the last thing I want to do to de-stress. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want his, his tools and techniques. So it's like, what works for you? But the thing I would say about tools and techniques, and this was a trap I got into, mm. is that I began to, before I understood like what we're talking about now in the inner compass, I used to try and apply tools and techniques and they used to seem to work temporarily. And then they didn't work so well. Mm. And then I'd try harder. I think, well, what was I doing yesterday when it worked? And it must be me. So I'll, I'll do this harder. And then I'm going to read another book on this because obviously I'm, I'm going to go on a course. Obviously, if I go on the course, I'll get my qualification. Then I'll be a better person. So all I would say is just play. Be light with tools and techniques and, and intuit what, what you need. And, and if it's writing things down or going for a walk or listening to a piece of music or reading a book or watching the TV or playing with the kids or taking the dog for a walk, fill your boots, I'd say. I think that's a great observation that we can fall into the trap of thinking there's almost like a, something magical going on. When I listen to that song, it makes me feel. And it's not to underestimate the beauty of nature, music, being with your kids, writing things down. They're all wonderful things. But what you're saying is actually just... What, what's the kind of the common strand underneath all those things? The, the, there's a time when you settle, isn't there? There's a time when the thinking just does this. That's a common strand with all of those things. Yes, so I, I, I really want to just emphasize that because it's the biggest trap people fall into is they think it's the thing that's making them feel a certain way. And actually all that's happened is that they've been distracted from their thinking and they've 
just remembered who they truly are. That's all that's happened. So then we try and chase the thing, trying to get that feeling again. Well, that's crazy. It's, it's actually, that's who we are. Well, and isn't that a much nicer thing to realise that actually that, that magic you thought was in the song or the, or the pen or the, the seaside or whatever, it, it was you. Mm-hmm. That was just your own intuition kicking in. Um, thank you. I think, we will, I think we'll start to bring that to an end for now. And um, what I would say is, um, for Steve and I, we've certainly personally got a lot out of meeting every week. And I actually really felt hard done by last week not, in, not getting to do this. Um, it was all just a bit too much for everybody. We had a lot on. So we would like to consider how we keep something going with our collaboration with Liz and Stu. So we'll keep you posted on that um, as, as to what we can manage. A one-hour webinar every week is unlikely, but we, we certainly will continue to collaborate and share this because we think there's a, a lot of power in this stuff to help people. And when I talk about the personal effects on me, I really do, like, I really do mean it. It's been quite extraordinary. And I, whenever I get a chance to share with other people, I, I do because I want to see, I want you all to see that your true self is resilient and strong and you can handle everything that's in front of you. And things like anxiety don't have to have such a grip on you that you think they think that you, mm. you kind of think it's inevitable. Um, so I've been there and I do relate to that. But um, yeah, thank you all very much for joining us for these five episodes and please do share um, with colleagues kind of, this little series there's going to be like a little playlist of of the five episodes for people to be able to listen to if you think that would be useful for them uh liz Stu, and steve is there anything you want to say as we bring it to an end for me um you are extraordinary extraordinary people and i'm just so grateful for what you do really from the heart yeah and when you stand in your well-being in the times that are coming up, times that you're in at the moment and the turbulent times ahead of you, you will be at your best and you, you will be giving the best service you can be. So if you can remember that, please just go in, just go and have a ball. Steve, <clears throat> anything from you? Just a, a massive thank you to everyone who's taken time week in, week out to join us. Uh, for me it's been brilliant to learn to vocalize and to listen to everyone so i've really appreciated that but um just stay strong everyone knows we are a great professional i think things like this just echo how great our profession really is and the you said it russell the conscientious element that just seeps through our profession which i don't think is i think some parallel to be honest with Mm. others it's 9 30 on a tuesday night and they're still doing cpd what's wrong with them (laughs) So good to see you all. And thank you if you took a punt on us for the first time tonight as well and came and, came and had a little listen. So um, get in touch with us on, um, on the Facebook group, on Twitter. Let us know your reflections if you'd like to. And uh, yeah, we'll see if we can get this up as a podcast in the next week or so. But lovely to see you all again. Yeah, great. It's been a pleasure. Don't keep the deputy.